And good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet and I'm here in the studio with uh, the chairs of Blumenball, Mukam Jenday and Dr. Antonio Rogier. Uh, Patty is here. She's making her way slowly into the studio and she'll be in with us in just a minute. Um, okay, let's start off with how did you two get stuck with, I mean, have the, have the pleasure of uh, chairing Blumenball. Well, I'm actually excited to chair Blooming Ball. Um, probably as the chair of the Board of Advisors, you know, I was probably voluntold. <laughs> but it's certainly a task that I'm happy to do and carry out because it's been three years since we had Blooming Ball, and so Blooming Ball is back, you know, due to COVID we were not able to do it so right and it's always a wonderful event right yeah we're, yes. we're, we're super excited like I, I hopped on I've been I've been a board member and I really I had had uh, aspirations of actually being able to uh, you know MC a ball yeah. <laughs> that was the exciting part but you know along with that you know is being chairs of the ball too and yes. so you know uh, real excited to have to have this ball back it's gonna be an awesome time and uh, yeah uh, it's, it's gonna be an amazing event Okay, so you were already involved with AIN. Yes. Um, how did you get involved with AIN? Well, for actually for me, actually Mukum brought me on. Actually, um, I, w I actually worked with her sister uh, in a facility in Arlington, and um, I was invited to actually to, to a ball, the one we break before COVID. And um, for me, I've always had a, a interest in. Uh, uh, motivation so I say to just help others and I, I do a lot of volunteering I do a lot of medical mission trips and so when I was a part of when I saw this I was like what a great opportunity to kind of help the community that I actually live in um, I'm from New Jersey but I've been here for about almost 10 years now and um, I live where the folks who we treat live I see them every day and so I want to be a part of what a and does is there it's a great mission to help the community and to help those with HIV AIDS all over North, North, North Texas also Mukum, how did you get involved? Well, I've been in the HIV field for 17 years. I don't want to tell my age, but <laughs> <laughs> in some capacity, I've worked in the field. And so about seven years ago, um, I was asked by the then chair, uh, Greg Gunter, mm -hmm. to join, come aboard. And so it just made sense to me because AIN serves the population that I'm so passionate about. And, um, and then three years I've been chair. Three years. For three years I've been chair. Yeah, I'm kind of a newbie, so, you know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of rough. Three years. And so I come, just a little bit about my background, um, as a student activist, and then in terms of my academic work, which was multicultural women and gender studies, I was working with on women's issues to begin with mm -hmm. and working with women who experience family violence and then also just working in social services. So I see that, you know, my participation in this field is a confluence of all three of those. And let's just go back a, a step. Not everybody knows what AIN is. Of the main AIDS agencies, it's probably the least known one. Okay, that's interesting because mm -hmm. it's been around. It's been as for, around as yeah. long more as than thirty-seven right. years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been around about the same amount of time as all the others. Resource okay. Center is celebrating its fortieth anniversary, mm -hmm. but okay. AIN is Access and Information Network. 
It was founded as AIDS Interfaith Network. Many people still know it as that today, but whether you call it either name, you know, we've been here 37 years. Our fearless leader, Stephen Pace, has been at AIN for 27 years. And you know something? When Don Mason retired uh, from AIDS Services of Dallas, he was the longest serving uh, executive director of an AIDS agency anywhere in the country. Mm. I think Steve has passed him now. Right. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, talking to Steve, uh, I, you know, I haven't been on, in the board, on the board for that long, but seeing Steve work, seeing his, his skill set, the, the, the love he has, the passion he has for what he does, actually helps to motivate us too, mo mo motivate me, because, you know, I get to see someone truly feels, you know, what he's doing and, and truly feels that what he's doing is making a big difference. And so that kind of trickles down to everybody else. Sure. Well, you and can't that, do it that long without being really passionate you know, you about got it. To, right. And that was another reason why I chose to be on the board was to work with Stephen yeah. Pace because I admire him so much. So of the main AIDS agencies, mm -hmm. none of them step on each other's toes. They all have their own individual niche of what they do. What is AIN's uh, mission and what well, does it do? And so our mission is to prevent the spread of HIV and to serve people living with HIV and other vulnerable populations. So our program and our services have expanded. We have about nine programs and services um, from medical transportation to um, nutrition, yeah, nu 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 our meals program. We provide breakfast and lunch through a di registered dietitian that, you know, prepares these for people living with HIV because it's important if you're taking uh, ARTs, antiretroviral medications, that you, you know, some of the medications require you to take them on a full stomach, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to know, too, like, you know, a lot of our patients are very low, low income in Dallas, and so, you know, I think, the, I think the, the big word is access. Yes. Access really um, is a word that's important for people because, you know, I don't care, you know, who, where you live in the world, I don't, I don't care where, where, you, where you live in Texas, um, you know, how much m money you have, it's hard to get to a place to give you the services that you need sometimes. And especially when you are a marginalized population, just, just the information itself is important to have, you know, and so the access is important. People need testing still, right? I mean, I know nowadays, you know, we don't really hear much about HIV AIDS on, the, on TV or, you know, social media anymore. It's like it kind of the education kind of just disappeared a little bit. But people are still out here suffering still with HIV AIDS and they need help. And so they need, they, they need somewhere to go. And if you don't have that, have that, if you don't have that, you know, information up front to say, hey, where I get tested at, if I do HIV AIDS, who could help me? That's kind of what AIM will, will step in to do too. And perhaps we're not heard about as much because we serve the most vulnerable right. of the population. Half of our clients are housing insecure. Um, mm -hmm. We have a very diverse clientele from 64% African-American, 17% Latinx, and the other 19% are Anglo and other. So about 85% of our program service people of color. Right. And yeah. so about 25% are women, but again, they are living at the poverty level or below. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's talk about housing insecurity and how housing is the first step in preventing HIV. Or if you have HIV already, it's the first step in being able to 
treat it and maintain it. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, so if you think about, you know, just it, when it comes to the medical medical world, we know how these marginalized people are usually treated, right? I mean, they go, they don't really have PCPs. They have to go to the ER. And we know what happens when people go to the ER, right? I mean, they go to the ER and they're usually not given the care they're, they should be given if they are a certain population, if they're a certain demographic, they're a certain socioeconomic status, right? And that's why, you know, and those people usually don't have a voice. And so, you know, organizations like, like us speak out for those, for those people too because they need a voice. And it's hard when you don't have, you like the resources, the money, and education to put yourself in, in a position to help yourself. And so that's, that's really important. Um, when, when people don't have homes, there's no, when there's no home base, there's nothing to really refer to. People are also very tr transient too, right? And so if there's, no if there's no local area for them to go to, if they're not lo located in one spot, they're, mo they're moving around, how do you treat these, treat these people? They need somewhere that they can go to you know, to, to help them. And that's also what, what, what we do too. So, and, and I agree with everything that Dr. Rosier has touched on because we say in the field that housing is prevention. When someone has a stable place to lay their head, then they are more likely to adhere. If I don't know where I'm gonna get my next meal or I don't know where, I, where I'm gonna lay my head, you know, there's a hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, medications, you know, are put on the back burner. I've been in this field a long time and I've seen a lot of things whereby I've been out doing testing through my outreach and I've had someone who was pretty much, you know, homeless and then they tested positive and then, okay, here's the prospect of now having access to housing. So actually getting an HIV diagnosis probably wasn't the worst thing that happened to them that day because they can now have housing. And so I think that's a sad situation whereby you have, you know, a diagnosis will give you a stable housing or a place to stay. Yeah, exactly. And so we're promoting here at AIN a culture of health, which implies equity and equal access yeah, for exactly. everyone. Mm -hmm. And that's what AIN serves to do. And that's um, that's really tough when you get in a in a cycle. If you if, if you lose your home, you lose your job, you lose your home, and you get in a cycle of not having stable housing, mm -hmm. not having steady meals. Not it's very tough to lift yourself out of that yeah. in order Absolutely. to you know to, to raise any one of those factors to a place where you can lift the others with it. Exactly. And it's it's just such a cycle. Um, I know the. The people experiencing homelessness in the city of Dallas and in Dallas County, um, even though there are increasing resources many times, it's just really hard to get get people into those um, services and, and, and then have them stay in those services. Right, exactly. do, you, do you find yourself working with the same, same patients um, again and again because they fall out or come back in? And do you have like net, nets? To, to help bring them back? Yes, and we, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, they can either choose to, you know, receive services at AIN or we can refer them to other, we have a network of providers to make sure that they're getting their necessary health care yeah. and uh, other ancillary yeah. services. Yeah, you made a good point with that because, you know, it's hard to put yourself, you know, it's hard to understand how people feel when they're unhoused. You know, you know, even right now, 
people who, if you're sitting listening to this, this, this right now, if you have your needs met, right, if you, if you have a house, your bills are paid, and you can eat, those basic needs are there, right? But when you don't even have that, how would you even put medical treatment above any of your basic necessities? And so that's also why we used to talk about how having a house is so important because you really just don't want to take care of yourself, you know. And, right. It just it yeah. all starts getting even right, worse. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, so you think about money. That's we people. Well, I got. I gonna eat today is the main question, right? Where am I going to sleep today is the main question. So taking care of your health needs is way lower on that list when you don't have just those main things set up for you. And so when they come to us, we assess the needs. Uh, we determine and draw up a plan for them or refer them to our other partners that we collaborate to ensure that they have the full wraparound services. So I want to go back to somebody who's unhoused. Mm -hmm. um, so they might be staying in a shelter. How safe is that? Uh, and how likely is it that the bag that they have that has their medications in it is going to be stolen? Right. That's a big problem. You know, you see people, because even now, even as, as hot as it's outside right now, you see people outside still, right? Um, you know, Breaks I, my heart. It, it's, it's, it's so sad seeing this. And, you know, and the thing is, like, you talk to people and you ask them, like, do they like to live in shelters and stay there? And a lot of times they don't feel safe. A lot of times they don't feel, they don't always feel like they, they are in a spot and a place that will give them what they need, that, 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 that they, they need. I mean, people, like you said, get things stolen. Or people, there are all kinds of different stories of, you know, of, you know, of, 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 of violence and, and altercations. And, and it's hard when you have people who, you know, you put people in one spot and everybody has different kind of needs too. And on top of that, you know, a lot of people who are, who are unhoused also have mental health issues, right, that are unaddressed. And that's also a big underlying issue, not just in Texas, but in the whole country, right? People are on the street right now because they don't have the resources to help their mental health. They're schizophrenic, they're bipolar, and they, there's nowhere for them to go, you know? I mean, and, and that's a third thing, right? You have people out here, it's, and it's kind of hard for people to understand. People don't have this, have this thought process of like, if I need help, I have someone to go to. You know, I might have a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a girlfriend, a, a boyfriend, or someone that can help me. But there are people out there in this world who have nobody at all. And so when so we try to be that resource and be someone for them because literally they have nowhere to go at all. So when they come to the Dare Center, for example, um, which is a wellness center, we provide stabilization. Mm -hmm. It also is a safe space for socialization and support. Yeah, yeah. the are super cool. You know, we go there, we have, you know, we have great it's nutrition. Right, there's meals in there. We have amazing chef in there with like nutrition for people. Like there's so special, you know, diets are important to me at HIV age, right? You, you want to have a diet that's not as inflammatory, right? Your nutrition is important. So we, ha so, we, so we have meals in there. We have, like, like you said, you know, socialization, place to rest, right? Place to learn something, right? And so that is, that's also what, what we give, too, just a place to go to have some resources for these people who are in Dallas. But I do want to go back to the medications in the shelters. I know I worked at a women's shelter. And anyone who was bringing in any kind of medication had to lock it up. There was mm -hmm. a safe place for, you know, and the staff distributed the medication. Now, it's been a while since I've been in the shelters, but that's usually what I've experienced. Ah, so it keeps it from being stolen. 
right. by somebody who's looking Stolen for... Stolen and abused and right. all of that. I mean, for somebody who's looking for opioids or, or whatever, they're not going to say, hey, let me look at the, your bottle. Oh, no, that's not something, you know. Right. When you uh, enter into the shelter, you have to list all of mm -hmm. those, and then they keep them yeah. safe and uh, lock, locked right. up. Yeah. But even though people, but, you know, and there are, you know, there are regulations in shelters, but, you know, people still sometimes feel, you know, that they're not safe, you know, and so you hear stories all the time of that, um, but, um, and, that, and especially, you know, in, in, you know, here in Dallas, when you see people, you know, living on, on the street right now, and, you know, it's, it's and, and we, we have some research out there, you see people handing out, you know, clothes and food, and but for the most part, there's not a whole lot of movement to kind of give these folks what they need here in, the, in this, in, in North Texas, and it's really sad what's going on right now. So is the city doing anything in this heat to give people a place to get out of the heat? Hmm. That, that's an uncomfortable long yeah. silence. It is. Yeah, it really is. I mean... <coughs> and even as much as the city can do, right, we still go around the bridges and certain areas where we still find a lot of homeless. We have a big empty convention center that's air-conditioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, this, and the sad thing, I was just talking with a friend about, about this who works for the city of Dallas, by the mm -hmm. way. And um, he was saying, you know, it's, it's really difficult if, if someone calls and says there are people under this particular bridge and they need help. Um, and, and then they move across the street and stand on the corner. That's a different jurisdiction. And so somebody else is responsible for them on that corner. And it's, it's just this overlapping mess. And we don't usually do this. And other countries don't really see this, this kind of overlapping jurisdictions where is it the city? Is it is it the county? Is it mm -hmm. a water district? Is it, right, like, right. And I was just know, talking to a friend the other day that said, you know, we're seeing this more around the country. You know, there used to be certain cities where you expect to see homeless encampments, but now it's just becoming more, you know, um, it's growing. Well, in cities that, not that they didn't have a homeless population, but a number of them uh, with all the immigrants coming in who have no place to go and it's taking forever to process them mm -hmm. uh, with their asylum claims. Yeah, like New York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's more than New York. I think New York's mayor is just opening his mouth about uh, it. <laughs> right, that's true too. Right? It's everywhere. But like, yeah, like, like New York, it's hard because, you know, that's also an issue too, right? So you have more children coming here and more, more families coming here and and they're just laid out on the street, you know. Hotels are filled up, motels are filled up, and you know, it's it's you know, the the claim is that you know we're running out of resources here and there. But you know, I don't. I I always had the, the the mantra that there's 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 enough for everybody, you know. But you know, people tend to be a little selfish and not want to share as, as much as they should. <laughs> yeah, as far as housing the unhoused, we have plenty of motels here in Dallas. We do, we do. And I bet there are some empty rooms. Mm-hmm. I agree. Isn't that a crime, though, to have people it, out in the street it when be. it was 110 two days in a row? It should be. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how a community can let people live the way they live and not care at all. You know, I mean, you, you drive. But it's hard to us, too, because, you know, in society, we, we become very numb to things a lot of times. And so you drive by something every single day. Every single day, every single day, every single day, and it's hard to, you know, push past that initial. Just okay. Well, this is what this is just what it is. Instead, people should be doing like, what can I do about it instead, you know? And so, but that's also what 
groups like us try to do is motivate other people to, st to step up also and make, make a change too. We need to take a break. We're talking to Mukum Jande. I'm looking at her Jinde, and, yes, and she's correct. shaking her head, right? You got it. Uh, and Antonio Rozier yeah. uh, about AIN and their upcoming Blooming Ball. We'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. Hi, this is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. Listen. And Candy reminded me of something uh, that we need to talk about in a minute. But we're talking to Mukum Jande and old eight-track players. <laughs> uh, and uh, Mukum Jande and Antonio Rogier are our guests. They're from Blumenball and AIN. Before we get to uh, Candy and her connection to all this. Candy's a regular guest of ours on this show. Mm -hmm. Every um, quarter. All right. First week of Pledge Drive. <laughs> and yeah, she cool. is good. <laughs> she, she is good. Very cool, very it. cool. Because of Candy, we made our Pledge Gold this. Uh, That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. She is a master at segueing from mental health concerns and counseling right into what number to dial to give us a pledge. Nice. So That's a skill to that. Skill to that. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about Blooming Ball, which supports the um, programs of AIN. Well, Blooming Ball is our signature event. Um, and right now, we're about a month out. It's going to happen on Saturday, September the 23rd at the Renaissance Hotel uh, right off of Simmons. Yeah. Starts at 6, right? 6, 6 p.m. And what it is, is we do the work every day, but Blooming Ball is a chance for us to come together, mm -hmm. have fun, dress up, yeah. um, nice and, and honor um, people that are have made an impact in the Dallas community, that have given selflessly and have dedicated. Um, and so we have a Crystal Hope Award that we give out to an individual and an organization. The organization that we're giving the Crystal Hope is AIDS Walk South Dallas. Um, headed by Antoine Wiley. And so, Do you know, we haven't had Antoine on in a while. We have not. You have not? <laughs> he was on when it first started, and in fact, he and I are the ones that came up with the name AIDS Walk South Dallas, because originally it was the South Dallas AIDS Walk, and I oh, said, yes. yeah, give it some zing. And how we, long was that? We how, how long ago was that? That was about 14 Two, years okay. ago. I was going to say 10. Okay, doesn't, okay. Yeah. And even when I came into the field, and I've been in 17 years, Antoine was already, you know, in the community, Mr. Okay. Community. Mr. Community, yes. <laughs> and so even though he's been an individual recipient this year, AIDS Walk South Dallas will be an organizational ah, recipient for, them. for the work, the wonderful work that they're doing in the southern sector yeah. in South Dallas to educate and to get people tested. And who's the individual? The individual is Wayne Davis, oh. and he's made considerable contributions um, consistently into organizations in Dallas for charitable causes. Head of the Dallas Bears. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so we're proud. And then for our entertainment, uh, we have Wendy. No. Let's see. 
for the entertainment, Denise Lee. Yeah. Oh, Denise, Denise Lee. Lee. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And so she's an international entertainer that has over 30 years as an actress and as a vocalist mm -hmm. and has more recently performed here at the Winspear Opera. And so I'm looking forward to hearing her. Yeah. I saw her yeah. last summer at uh, Carnegie Hall oh, when nice. she performed with the Turtle Creek Chorale. She's amazing. She was, she was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. My whole family uh, was there with me. <laughs> And they were just, and, yeah. and my family's from New York, so, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm looking forward to that. They it's saw her event. for the yeah. first time. It's a lot of fun. The event is a lot of fun. I mean, I think also too, a lot of times, you know, these balls are kind of like little ho hoity toity, and you know, they're all super black tie. This is more just like fashion forward. You know, it's a <laughs> yes. lot of fun. So you can you, you can you can wear a, a glitter blazer if you want to. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's it's you, you, you come you 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 sh you show who you. you sh you come as you are, basically, you know, your own style, your own flair, you know, and it's a lot of lo like love in the room. I've been to one. That's how I kind of started with, with this. With this. When I met Mookum, she said, come to this ball. And I was like, I walked in <laughs> and I, I've been used to, you know, I've been to balls, right? You know, you know, we're in tuxedos. and Black we're Uh-uh, not this one. I'm talking about people are fly in this thing. I was like, yeah. I got to step it up next year. I can't come here just wearing a tuxedo, you know? So there's color, there's colors, there's people of all different shapes and sizes and it's just like it's kind of it's better because it shows you what the community actually looks like and that's what's important too you, you, you could come to a place where it's like you know you know that there's different people there that have different ideas but they're all there for the same reason which is really cool too that's very very cool yeah I, my my wife was watching project runway this um a few days ago and their theme was peacocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. Everybody's a peacock. You can Everybody's peacock, peacock at the ball. Yeah, that's it. That. Yeah. So you know, and it's, there's good. There's good music. There's there's good food. You know, there's there's a, you know there's a, there's a bar of course, and uh, and there's an awesome party afterwards too. And we have a an auction, a silent yeah. auction of curated items. Mm -hmm. And we usually have wonderful items there. And in fact, you can go on our website. We've started to post some of those oh, items. Oh, so you can already yeah. bid on mm -hmm. them. At mm -hmm. aindallas.org. We're going to have a wine pool. So it's just going to be a night of fun. And, yeah. and even the food. I have exactly. to talk about the food yeah, because it's ahead. not just hotel food. It's right. like farm to table, three yeah, course. It's delicious. And it, it's delicious. It's not that like, you know, like no normal like hotel conference food you get to that the, the dry chicken and you know, <laughs> little overcooked out, you know, um uh, asparagus, whatnot. It's it's a it's a good time. It's a, and, and it's fun because everyone's there because they wanna because we're here to give back to the people that have to actually you know, help grow grow us and that's important too. And if you'd like tickets, go to AINDallas.org. AINDallas.org. Mm -hmm. yes. We still have some sponsorships or tables. Yeah, yeah. that's important. Um, you have more sponsorships, <laughs> so we, that they are open. And, and those range from two twenty five hundred to ten thousand. Um, or you could do a VIP package for two, and then we have some limited individual tickets as well. Yeah. So it's Good. still not too late. Mm -hmm although the tickets are going fast. And then we even have a special arrangement with the hotel where if you want it to stay, there is a special rate, but that's only through the end of August. And it's at? The, the Renaissance the Hotel? On Stemmons. 22 Stemmons. When I first went to Dallas 35 years ago, um, mm -hmm. someone told me um, I was, I was going to go to something at the Renaissance, and they said, you know, the Bic Lighter. Mm -hmm. The big lighter on thirty five. Yeah, big lighter. So if you're if you're curious about which one that is, that's the one. It's very twenty two twenty two North true. Stemmons, and it's big not lighter. far from our location. Not at all. Because we're located at twenty six hundred North Stemmons. I had always heard the building called the Lipstick. The Lipstick. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, there you go. Okay. 
So another one. Um, okay, so Candy did our little bumper, and she reminded me her partner uh, in counseling when she first went into business was Howie Dare. Wow. And do you know the history there? I know the, um, that we have the Dare Center and that it's named after him. And I've heard, I never met Howie Dare or I only heard of him, you know, after right. the fact. Howie lived across the pool work. from me when I first moved wow. to Dallas. I, I knew Howie. And so, yeah, I knew Howie. He was a character. <laughs> But he created the Oakland Counseling Center. He and Candy started Oakland yes. Counseling Center because while most leaders in Dallas just thought, oh, AIDS isn't coming to Dallas. Yeah, they have it down in Houston, but it's going to mm -hmm. stay there and it'll never come up here. Uh, Howie was saying, oh, it's coming and we better get ready for it. And that's when they started Oakland Counseling Center. Um, in the meantime... Several organizations like Resource Center founded, uh, Aid Services of Dallas founded uh, to give housing to people who were losing their homes. Mm -hmm. But the DARE Center was founded not for what it's used for now, but to give respite to caregivers yes. yeah. during the day. So you could bring somebody that you were caring for who was in the last stages of HIV mm -hmm. to the DARE Center and there were trained professionals to help take care of them during the day. That's just an awesome legacy, and I'm just proud that we could still, you know, have a center with his name, you know, for his namesake, yeah. because mm -hmm. it's so powerful for the work that he was doing yeah. to still, you know, for us to continue yeah. on and for his yeah. legacy to still impact Right. people living with yeah. HIV. And also so, so you won't forget, you know, all the work that was put in. Yes. I think it's, I think, you know, in 2023, you know, with this next gen generation of people, they weren't, uh, you know, they weren't alive in the 80s and 90s. Like, you know, I was like, you know, I'm an 80s baby. I was, you know, born 82. So I was around. I remember. But a lot of people don't remember how sure. difficult it was. And just, you know, just imagining how it was just not knowing what it was and see people, see people actually die. Like, you don't really see that much anymore, right? I mean, with the medicine we have and the preventive medicine that we have, you don't see people just straight up just dying from HIV AIDS anymore. But, you know, back then it was just like pop, pop, pop. And it was, and it's so that it was a lot of work that, that people put in, you know, that, that, that put into just to learn about HIV, to not just to prevent it, but just to learn how just to, just to, just to deal with it in itself. And so I think that's a great testament to, you know, people like how we dare, how, how much work they put in to really um, help those in, in mm -hmm. need. I remember going okay. to I remember going to the AIDS Resource Center one time. It must have been about the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And HIV medications started coming out in 1995. They weren't really widely available mm -hmm. until 1997. But I remember talking to somebody at the front desk at Resource Center whose main mission was taking care of people with HIV. And he said, "Yeah, I don't know anybody who's died of AIDS." And I was horrified. Wow. And then I was relieved because how wonderful to have somebody working in the middle of the AIDS community mm -hmm. to have not known somebody who died of AIDS. Mm. Because we went through weeks where went from the hospital to a funeral, back to the hospital right. to take care of the next one. You yeah, know, and back in the early days, um, people were dying nine months from their initial diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And today... You know, if you're getting into treatment and care, people live near normal lifespan. Yeah. And we know we have treatment as prevention now that things like PrEP. Mm -hmm. But if people 
um, and yeah, but um, I, art. Yeah, that's important. But I think too is important that you know there's a there's still a big issue with like STIs and especially in North Texas. And like I think that because people feel confident in medicine and in in healthcare, that's not that big of a deal anymore. But in North Texas itself, it's ridiculous right now as far as the rate, not just of HIV, but like other you know chlamydia. Gonorrhea, even syphilis is making a comeback. I had a talk with one of my friends who's a uh, infectious, d- d- infectious uh, doctor, and she was telling me that they're running out of penicillin in Dallas. Wow! Because of how many people are getting syphilis here, you know. And so uh, I think education—it's it, so important. Like you know, but that—that's that, that's also a testament to like where education has gone, right? They aren't really talking that much about this in schools anymore, right? These kids don't even really understand or know what's out there because of the way the system is set up for them, you know? And so, you know, having that, that knowledge is so important just to keep yourself safe, not just from HIV, but from everything else too, you know? Well, you know and I that's why we serve the most vulnerable because even though people live near normal lifespans, people who are at the poverty line, mm-hmm. who are not educated, are still dying. You know, and people of color yeah. mm-hmm. are still dying. Yes. I, I used to do some AIDS education in schools, and my favorite was talking to, in one school, they had us do the third grade even. Mm-hmm. I yeah. loved doing the third grade because they would ask anything. <laughs> I mean, they were just... Whatever. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's like, well, maybe that's a question we should answer when you're in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. good luck with getting into the schools now. No, no kidding. Because right. of exactly. the conservative political climate, it's very difficult to yeah. do that. Well, you can't but have a book in a public school anymore. You don't anymore. Truth at all anymore. And unfortunately, <laughs> you were talking about syphilis in Houston. There, yeah. black women, there's an outbreak of mm-hmm. syphilis among yeah. black women. So yeah. we're seeing some of these um, STIs that we thought that we had, you know, no. had under control and were not a problem rearing back up. You know, and Venton Jones, who's our freshman um, uh, mm-hmm. state representative from West Dallas, um, he introduced a bill that finally got out of committee, which is an accomplishment for a freshman. Uh, state representative, but it was to include HIV testing in a standard STD test. Mm -hmm. Right now, if you go to the doctor and say, I'd like an STD test, unless the doctor offers it, you might not know this, but you're not going to get an HIV test. Mm -mm. What sense does that make? At all. I mean, I never quite, as a physician, I never quite understood that. I don't know if it was literally just a monetary issue of it at all. Or if it just was like you know, in the what wasn't in the forefront. It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense at all. You know, I mean, it should be every STI on that panel. Exactly. Um, uh, and so and so, but again, you're you're talking about access and equality, right? And so, and it's it's it's, it's tough to say that you know if the people who are really getting this disease are really not looked at as being important, right? then it's not going to be important to the people that are trying to make the money, you know? And so, and so it has to be equitable for people. And we know it's still a problem. We should be testing for it. Like we test for everything else, you know? When you say the people who are getting this disease are not important, yeah. who's getting it and who's not? Right. So, you know, again, those, okay, so the majority of people still, like, you know, that, that we see are Afro-Americans and Latinos, specifically females. Women, Latin women, Latino women, and, Latino, and black women are two of the highest, have the highest rates of Oh, yeah, tra- you're right. We don't right care now. about them. <laughs> so you're right. Among women. And then among women, right? Yeah. You know, and, and we know 
what women go through. I mean, we know about healthcare disparity. We know what happens when you walk in the, the you know, especially for women, you go to ER, oh my, you, you, you might have a little heart attack, but what are they gonna tell you? Oh, it's anxiety. Oh, you're just stressed out. And so you need people to, people always need people to advocate for them, right? And Vinton did a great job at that. I met Vinton a couple months ago when I was uh, lobbying uh, in Austin um, and we talked a lot. And um, the fact that he got this passed is just, just amazing. And State Rep Julie Johnson got a bill passed as well that that um, changes the requirement for monthly prior authorization from for services from an insurance company to mm -hmm. annual mm -hmm. oh, so that ha not having to do that every 30 days and it's particularly for uh, HIV and AIDS services right um, so that there's not this anxiety that comes with am I going to get authorization and this just the 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 time-consuming headache that it can right. be to do every 30 mm -hmm. days for an ongoing treatment you know, yeah. now it's it's when it goes into effect, it'll be annual. Right. I mean, our system, our, our healthcare system, is not set up for prevention of anything, really. Right. And so you would think that you know, because how much? I mean, because really, how, I mean, how much is the medical cost for HIV/AIDS? A lot, right? Medicines a lot, treatments a lot. So you would think that if we would prevent this, that we'd save some money too. You know, but it's unfortunate that in our healthcare, in our sector of healthcare, it's really more about treating people. With problems instead of preventing their issues. Yeah, but an HIV test could cost as much as I don't know twenty five dollars. Yeah. Well, now, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's what one pill is. Exactly. You know, with and then, HIV and, and I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know what the what the hospitals would charge you for that too. Like, if you go to the ER and get a and get an STD test, I'm sure it's a I don't know the number, but pretty much everything in the hospital is way more than what it should be, and so I'm sure it's expensive. I've never noticed. Yeah. I usually look at my hospital bills See? and go, "Gee, that's so reasonable." I'm gonna do you really? I mean, you, I mean, I'm gonna need you to look next time. Look at the itemized bill, and you tell me they, you know, we are we are. I mean, compared to other countries, we, we're we're like more than triple what most people pay for for most most things. You know, even in, in our system here, ambulances, regular medicine. I mean, you can get ibuprofen, and they'll they'll charge you like eighty bucks for one. When I was living across <laughs> the street from Parkland, an ambulance to Parkland was sixteen hundred dollars. Yeah. That was to drive you across the street. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Other uh, countries like a hundred bucks. I was I was looking at this article the other day, and people were trying to guess the cost of certain things in America. Like in Europe, an ambulance is like hundred bucks. Here we need thousands of dollars, right? I mean, sixteen hundred and fifty mm -hmm. for any ambulance right? ride within Insulin, the city. Hypertension wow. medication. It's all like triple, quintuple what people pay across the world. Well, I think that if we can get opt-out testing for everyone. That would be significantly mm -hmm. help to um, stop the spread of the HIV spread. because before it's been, okay, so you looking at risk, like high risk populations or people who were considered, quote, high risk. But, you know, if you're participating in behaviors, you're, you can be high risk. So mm -hmm. everyone should be tested. And we need to take a break. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink. And our guests are Mukum Jende and Antonio Rogier uh, from AIN. We'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. I'm Christina from the Owens. And I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. And welcome back to Lambda Weekly. We're talking to Mukum Jende and uh, Antonio Rogier about AIN and Blumenball. Uh, just give us a quick uh, 
when and where is Blooming Ball being held this year? So uh, Blooming Ball will be held on September 23rd. Uh, we are at the Renaissance Hotel on 2222 North Stemmons Freeway. Um, and to get tickets? Yeah, uh, it is, uh, you can go to our website at aindallas.org. Good. Um, okay, so we were talking a little bit about some of the programs at uh, AIN. Uh, the transportation program is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So the, medication, the medical transportation program provides bus transportation or train passes uh, for DART as well as door-to-door -door van rides. And these are crucial because clients can go to their medical care. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, when I say it's kind treatment. of interesting, it's more than just we'll take you from your apartment in Oak Lawn to Parkland Hospital for your treatment. It's a much wider area than that that's served. Right, so and we can either do it through vans or taxi cabs. No, but I yeah. mean it's a multi-county program. Yeah, well, well, well yeah, wait, wait, it, it spans a big area, though. Yes, it is. I mean, Dallas and then the North the, Texas area. Right. Yeah. If yeah, it, it's North Texas that you cover. Right. That you'll pick area. somebody up yeah, from. It's a big area, right? I think I think it's important to notice that, like most people, a big fact is that the majority of people no show to their appointments because of transportation. And so we try to remove that barrier. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so that simple way, I mean, a lot of people out there just don't have cars. <laughs> well, they have just you, can't drive. Have you been able to, I know, like, through COVID, I was I work in healthcare, and, mm -hmm. and I'm very excited to see um, a lot of the barriers to telehealth mm -hmm. uh, get taken down by mm -hmm. the Texas Ladge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were some, you know, uh, there, it was not legally possible to do it for a while until they changed some, some laws. But it really made a difference in terms of counseling and people to appointments where where face to face was not necessary right. mm -hmm. have you have you seen an increase in telehealth because so it's 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 here to stay two, it is but however i will say this so it was during covid there were all these policies for telehealth right it was huge mm -hmm. however what happened was after covid a lot of the reimbursement for telehealth went down Okay, so really, uh, so so that's changing. Yes, so hopefully, <laughs> right. So, but it's important though, right? Because you think that okay, a lot of the basic, you know, ways you talk to your doctor can be done through telehealth, right? And that gives people what? What's the word? Access to yes. their physicians. Because like we said before, most a lot of people cannot drive, or they cannot drive, they don't have a car, or they can't afford gas, right? I have many patients that say that they don't want to come back every month because they can't afford that gas ride, that the gas to get to me every month. You know, so giving them some transportation gives them access to treatment that they, 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 re they really need. And what's interesting, too, is, you know, like there were patients in East, East Texas have no broadband, mm -hmm. no access, mm -hmm. would have to drive 30, 45 minutes mm -hmm. to a place where there was broadband. They couldn't just do it on their phone in their house. Right. They had to drive somewhere um, just to get to their telehealth appointment. Yeah. And they're going to blow it off because mm -hmm. they don't. They want to do all of do that it. to do to talk on the to FaceTime with somebody, right? And um, and so broadband is one of those things that does bring access, right? Right. Um, to to the the user, not the other way around. Um, so I, 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 it is my hope that there'll be better reimbursement for it in the near future, yeah. and I think there are things underway to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but also that kind of broadband infrastructure that's coming would help yeah your patients yeah, I mean, too it should be clients. like water and like it should be like water right everybody should have access to the internet 
It shouldn't be a thing anymore. Exactly. You know? And we know that rural patients always face extra barriers. Mm-hmm. And so I think with COVID, it helped us to kind of speed up that process to eliminate <laughs> right. some of those barriers that hopefully we can keep, you know, post-COVID. Well, and, you know, we, we say post-COVID, but it's, it's coming it's back. It's coming back. Come back. There's another wave. Please yeah. still, yes, please, please still, please don't act like it's, it's over yet. Still, um, I, I still get pains all the time. They're COVID positive all the time. There's a Texas school district, um, I can't remember where now, where they had to delay start of the school year because mm-hmm. for like a oh, week yeah. because they have that. teachers and, teachers and kids and everybody is sick with COVID. Well, kids can stay home, but when the teacher isn't available <laughs> and they had no substitutes available to take their places. And no broadband. And no broadband. <laughs> you know, when it's 110 degrees outside, I have no problem with them delaying yeah, school. Yeah. Right. So it, exactly. I never understood why Texas started school in the middle of August, our hottest month. So. One other thing that I wanted to stress, too, sure. is through our affiliation with AHF, AIDS Healthcare Foundation. I was just going to get to yes. that. Um, we, clients can now access on-site healthcare center that includes a full medical clinic and a full pharmacy. And so we worked closely together with AHF daily to ensure that um, they have access to comprehensive care, treatment, and medications. And so we have a combined site where we're So while they're there, they can stop in the D.A.R.E. Center, do some socializing, (laughs) have a meal, and go to the doctor. Absolutely, and pick up their prescriptions. And pick up their prescriptions. Um, Now, one of their prescriptions is PrEP, and we started talking about this and went off on a tangent. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you're thinking about PrEP. Well, PrEP, uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis, um, and we know that PrEP is effective and that every um, credible health organization has um, stated that. And so our job is to try to get the word out to communities that have right, their, exactly. their barrier to access mm-hmm. and so but i'm a proponent of prep yeah prep. um what are you thinking about the new injectable prep as opposed to taking a pill once a day it's uh two injections to start and then once every is it month or six month, weeks I, yeah i think it's four it's four to six weeks i don't remember the exact um, month but you know it's 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 a little bit when, when you make it things a little bit easier for people you know it's people tend to be a little more adherent to things yeah, absolutely. you know and so i think it i think it's just going to kind of again remove one of those barriers of having to take a pill like you know because people just don't some people don't like some people don't like taking pills right you know and so cutting down <laughs> on their pill burden you know? I don't like, so I don't it's like more tablets, tools know? in the toolbox yeah. so if you uh, have a pill burden and you don't like swallowing pills or you have an intolerance mm-hmm. to swallowing then you have this injectable yeah. but either way it works and we know yes. it's working for people and it's saving people's lives which is yeah. most for someone who's unhoused though i would think that would be a game changer I mean, it would be very, if, as long as they're, yeah, I mean, which is, we, which is why we're trying to get, get people access to it. Exactly, you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's incumbent upon the prescriber to look at those other factors mm-hmm. and say, you know what, this might be better to do an injectable since your lifestyle is not stable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, do you know I had somebody call me? He wanted uh, a referral to somebody who was doing PrEP. Mm-hmm. Because his own doctor said to him, I don't want to talk to you about PrEP. It doesn't work. 
and I don't want you as a patient anymore because you're looking for PrEP. Mm. Have wow. you heard objections like that or the people who've run the into... On the provider side, the doctor? The doctor said that? It was the doctor yeah, who I said mean, that. Again, and people will always put their own little dogmas and, and moral values and how they treat patients, unfortunately. You know, and perhaps some, and sometimes people don't like it because of the fact that it kind of, they think it encourages them to still be kind of risky still, you know, when in fact it does not at all. It's just another safety net for them, right? Because cause in, all, cause in, all, cause in all honesty, right, people are, are going to be out here doing, doing it regardless, right? And risky behaviors are going to come and go. But if you give people a, a support net that will help them save their lives, why, you know, why, why not? But some doctors feel like if you give it to them, to people, you're, 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 you're motivating them to go out there and do riskier behaviors when in fact the states have shown that, that, that that's not the fact at all. Well, it's the same with sort of basic insurance. When the ACA came out, um, yeah, they were, it was really a system that was going to rely on states um, having um, marketplaces mm -hmm. and young people getting insurance. Mm -hmm. And young people decided, well, I don't need it. Right, right. I don't need that. But then, you know, you can be in a soccer game and twist your knee really badly. Mm -hmm. And you're a perfectly healthy person, and you still have to and go see a physician. Yeah. And now you got to pay cash for that. <laughs> now you got to pay cash for that. surgery right so now. So when people, the way they think about it, is the, it's like a mindset. Mm -hmm. Do I do I look out for myself in a comprehensive way, or do I not? Do right. I just go out and take my chances every day? And right. it's And that's a battle. That's yeah. a battle well, everybody. And it's hard with. too because it, it comes down to expenses though too, right? I mean, it's hard because some people just people have, some people got to figure out are they going to eat or are they going to get their medicine? Yeah. Are they going to drive right, or, or are they going to you know are they going to be able to go get their rehab instead? You know, and so unfortunately in this climate where we have this healthcare system, it's it some people for a lot of people it's just not affordable, and so the fact that you have, you have to even balance that out is terrible. Like insurance or so, something else is is awful. P everybody should have access to healthcare insurance. Yes, you know? absolutely. And equity. And I'm thrilled to see sort of the provisions of the ACA having to do with mental health equity and parity mm -hmm. um, begin to, you yeah. know, raise its head again. But we have a long way to go in Texas, We have a though. long, <laughs> long Every, way to go. Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Because um, those services have been um, dismissed yes, for so, way too long. Uh, well, because, for so long. Because the perception is, like you said, Antonio, um, the perception is, oh, well, the people who are contracting that disease mm -hmm. are much lesser than the rest of us mm -hmm. are. Yeah. You know, we just don't care about it. And that's how it's been since, since the beginning of HIV AIDS, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. it, was, yep. you know it was the same population, too. It hasn't changed at all. Just a different look of the people. That's all. <laughs> now, do you, I know, like, like um, we've, we've had other, other shows and guests talking about uh, the people experiencing homelessness include mm -hmm. uh, most, I think, the last count we heard was over 4,000 kids in DISD mm -hmm. are experiencing homelessness and yet they still get up and go to school every day, which mm -hmm. I have such, uh, yeah, admire them so, so it's much. it's not 4,000 kids, it's 4,000 kids who are still in school who yes. are experiencing yeah. being So do you see kids like that? Do you see, um, do you see them as they get into their adulthood or they leave school or... Um, do you have a is a young population or what's what's your demographic spread in well, terms of age? So we see adults. We don't see mm. children. You know there are other organizations, but there is in this um, community a need to make sure that as they transition from like pediatric HIV here, that a lot of them are lost 
you know, in the system yeah. or fall through the gaps between pediatric and adult. Right. And so it's important because with pediatric, they have case managers that follow them very closely. And then transitioning to adulthood where you may not have that hand holding, then it's important to make sure that we're bridging that gap. Right. Because you have a lot of freedom when you become an adult. Right. So that freedom yeah. it includes a system that says yeah. we're going to, like not follow you anymore exactly. it's like you're on your own mm -hmm. wow and, yeah and that age range between like 22 to about 45 48 is still that large age group that's contracting hiv the most still so that's who we end up seeing also and on the other end of the spectrum old people like patty um <laughs> i told you i don't age <laughs> you didn't tell us that um how much are you seeing an aging population at aim um you know like more than 50% of people living with HIV are 50 and older. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we're aging and people are living longer. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's going to be important. And you can probably talk about yeah. this with um, morbidities. So comorbidities. Mm -hmm. So people, you know, have their HIV under control and are undetectable and virally suppressed. But there may be other age-related conditions or comorbidities that they have to contend. Right, exactly. And, and, I mean, and there are other others symptoms too like people get like you know neuropathy and nerve pain right and people get things like in their skin and their vision things like that and so like you know and as we and it's hard it, 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 it get kind of clouded too as you get older as you mature because other stuff things start, start to kind of kick in that also may be of a little more you know you know more, more depth to them as regards to like pain or issues that things that really decrease people's function they tend to focus on those things more so than the stuff that you know that aren't really causing the immediate problem right 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 right, right then and there you know so that might be a polite way to describe what patty's doing she's maturing <laughs> <laughs> and it's painful i'm on my way we're all, hey we're all on our way i, I have fortunate enough if i can mature i'll be very happy if i do ever do that <laughs> well i'm grateful for every day believe <laughs> there me you go. but conditions like inflammation cardiovascular yeah. disease you know, people living with HIV may experience them at a younger age. Mm -hmm. And so it's just important that we take care of the whole patient. Have, and I don't know if uh, you would even know this, but have they found any conditions that are specifically related to taking an HIV medication for 25 years now? The, 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 I haven't seen many studies as far as like adverse effects and symptoms. I haven't seen like really, really much. Um, most of the people that are really being treated are actually doing pretty well, you know, right right now. And um, we have a large population of patients. Like, like Mukum said, like you know, people are getting older, and a lot older. And so you have 50, 60, 70 plus year olds still doing very well um, on the on the medication. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Well, we are just about running out of time. Um, Give us uh, the information on Blooming Ball one more time. Okay, so with Blooming Ball, we are just, again, we're excited to be returning after three years, um, and we hope that you'll um, join us for a night of inspiration, love, and hope. Um, we always focus on hope in our messaging, and so um, we believe in hope connected to action, it's not just something that we think about, but it's right. like, what are we doing to inspire hope? And so um, we just want you to come out and share this wonderful night with us of yeah. hope and action and celebrate people that are working every day to put that hope into action. And go to AIN.com.
or aimdallas.org. So it's the 23rd September. 23rd of September. Starts at 6 p.m. Renaissance Hotel. 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Uh, music, still available. music, and you can food. peacock, right? Peacock, music, <laughs> food, bands. Bring your dress, bring your suit, bring your short set, whatever you want to wear. We are there. It's and the Mook best and, party in town. Luke and Jende and uh, Antonio Rogier, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.